Uh, hey, good morning. My name's Randy, not Luke, but uh, it's an honor to be here today and to uh, get the chance to preach. I, um, Amanda, thank you so much. I, um, so really, uh, Thanksgiving is over, and now it's time for Christmas. And I love Christmas time. There's something about Christmas that just makes me just love it. I mean, I, uh, it's, uh, it's just a season of waiting, and I just think of getting gifts as a child. You know, when I was a little boy, it was like I knew that there was going to be a day where I was going to get out of my bedroom, and there's going to be gifts under the tree, and I was going to get to open them. And so there's just eager expectation, eager longing to get these gifts and to open them up. And I just, I wanted it so much. And it, it, whenever I'm waiting for something, it does something sweet in my heart. It's like, it's like I'm just looking forward to it. I'm hoping to get these gifts. I'm hoping in what I get. And it just makes room in my life for hope, this season of waiting. And and so that's a small picture. A kid looking for a, a present, waiting for a present is a small picture. But in, a, in, a, you know, in, in Christianity, it's, it's uh, you know, Israel was waiting for a Messiah, expectantly waiting for a Messiah. And even today, we're waiting for the second Advent. And Advent is just a season of, of waiting. And so like I said, I love Christmas. And it's a time where it seems like the culture gets a little nicer. We bought a Christmas tree yesterday, and the guy said, Merry Christmas. He was the first one to tell me Merry Christmas. It just seems like people are, if, they, if people don't say Merry Christmas, they say Happy Holidays. You know, they just, they get a little nicer. And, uh, and part of me just wants to forget about 2020 and the pandemic and being shut in and, and work slowing down and, and uh, you know, it, it, with which side of the election you're on, just craziness, everything going on. Just part of me wants to just say, oh, finally, Christmas is here and I can just forget about what's happened you know, in 2020. But I think that's really a disservice to everything that God has been teaching you through 2020. And uh, I think it also is going to diminish your affections for Christ, for Jesus. And so we don't need to forget about 2020. It's because of pandemics and, and unrest and violence in the streets and any ungodliness that, that we celebrate Christmas, that we celebrate a Messiah, a rescuer coming to rescue us from ungodliness. So uh, we're going to see today, hopefully, my prayer is we see today that God has a, a plan and a purpose to bring justice, to right the wrongs, to bring peace and light and life to a world of darkness. When things go from bad to worse, that should be a driver for us to celebrate the birth of Christ even more. So let me ask you a question. Do you think it's possible to enjoy this Christmas more than any other Christmas that you've ever enjoyed because of what's happened in 2020? And so let me pray for us, and I'll dive into this passage. Lord, I just thank you that you are God, that you rule and you reign, that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives. And God, your purpose includes our redemption. God, I thank you that you are a God who loves redemption. You love to redeem us. And so God, I pray that tonight or today that you would give um, just wisdom to myself and clarity in, the, in my words. And, and God, that uh, we would all know you more clearly know you better because of this passage. Never pray. Amen. So let me read Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. This is our passage today. It starts out, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 
You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so I'm going to warn you, just brace yourself a little bit. This passage starts in deep darkness. That's where we're going to. We're going to deep darkness that Israel was in. And so it starts out and says, There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt this land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. So it starts with a people in deep darkness. And so what do I mean by darkness? Well, darkness hides and it conceals, right? When you see darkness, you can't see into it. And it's a covering up of desires and actions. And so and it's also a not living in the light. So darkness is like the absence of light. Light exposes darkness. So if you have darkness, you don't have light. It's not living in light of who God revealed himself to be and who he made mankind to be. You know, it can be as simple as just covering up your emotions, acting happy and clean and competent. Believers and unbelievers, we all tend to hide in darkness. And we do not live in the light of who God is and who he made us to be. And so the history of Zebulun and Naphtali you know, these are, these are tribes in Israel in the very northernest part of Israel, okay? God says, and Isaiah says, in the former time, he brought into contempt this land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And so the, what I want to draw is that God brought them into contempt. And contempt just means a lacking of respect, a despising. And so... If you look back in Isaiah 8, just one chapter before, you'll read about God telling Isaiah that he's going to bring in the Assyrians and they're going to remove his people from this promised land that he gave them. And he's not just, he doesn't just know about it, but he's determining it. He's making it happen. He's in control. It's his plan. It's his purpose. And they're going to be cast, they're in spiritual darkness, and they're going to be cast into the hands of their enemies and removed from the land. And like that, that's dark. It's gloomy. And so why? And so one thing in particular was, is called the sin of Jeroboam. And uh, in 2 Kings 17.22, it says, The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had spoken by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. Now the sin of Jeroboam, what it was is he was the king of Israel. And he made two golden calves, and he drew his people to worship these calves. Instead of worshiping the God who brought them out of Egypt, they worshiped these two calves. And so, and God, he, uh, he gave commandments, right? He gave them laws. And, and one of the commandments is, you shall not make a carved image and worship it. You shall not bow down to it. Uh, but they did not submit to God's laws. 
God sent prophets to Israel. They didn't listen to God's words. They were a people who walked in spiritual darkness. Okay, they lived disobedient to God in the darkness. And so God removed them by the hand of the Assyrians. Zebulun and Naphtali, this land is just the, it's the, the, the first tribes to be crushed as Assyria came in from the north. 2 Kings 17.24 says that, And the king of Assyria, after he removed the, the, the Israel from this land, he brought in people and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. So you got to think, this was God's chosen people, replaced by godless people. This land of Zebulun and Naphtali is now full of people that are no longer Jews. They're, just, they're Gentiles. It's the nations that have been brought into Israel. And so good Jews in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, they did not like Naphtali. They did not like Samaria, Zebulun. They did not like this land because it was this land that was, was filled with Gentiles. And there were some Jews there, and they were mixed up with the Gentiles. And it's a region kind of Samaria and Galilee. It's all the same region right there. It's this land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so, like I said, the, the good Jews in Jerusalem that were were living godly lives as they thought, they held this, play, this area in contempt. And they said, we don't, we don't like those people. We don't associate with those people. Those people should be ashamed for what they've done. And so like I said, also Gentiles, just to paint a picture, I don't know how much Bible knowledge you have, but Gentiles before Christ um, are godless people. Ephesians 2.12, talking about Gentiles, Paul's trying to tell them, hey, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. They were a godless people. And then also futile and worthless in their thinking. Ephesians 4.17 says, And now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of of their minds. So because they were godless, their thinking was really futile and worthless. And they also lived in sensuality and pleasure. 1 Peter 4.3 for the time that's passed, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So just to paint a picture, this land of Zebulun and Naphtali is a land of deep darkness. Okay, it's a land where, where Gentiles now live there. It's a godless land. It's a, it's a land where, where if you were a godly person, like godly Jews, I guess, would say, would despise this land for what they have done, for the sins they've committed. And so when I think of deep darkness, I also think about, you know, the church, we're not immune from darkness. And so, you know, really, if you think about it, you can really just begin to, I I know the darkness in my heart, I I can see it, but if you just think about it, you know, what do you look at on your computer? Even if it's not explicit material, you know, my wife and I, we've been, um, I come home from work and I'm tired and exhausted, and, but I've, I've been just fine through the pandemic. I always want to know what's going on with the world on my phone. And so I just scroll through it, scroll through it. And I could be sitting on the couch with her. She's here and I'm here and I'm just scrolling through it and we're not talking. I'm just looking at my phone, wanting to know what's going on, what's going on. And so we kind of talked about it. We came up with this decision and said, hey, listen, after five o'clock, we're going to put our phones on the windowsill and we're not going to look at them anymore. And uh, so I said, ah, yeah, I, I, it was really my idea, but I've never really done it. I always just put it in my pocket. I say, I'm just not going to be scrolling. We can, you know, call somebody, answer a text, 
but I'm not going to be scrolling on the internet. But you know what we do is when my wife is in one room and I'm walking to another room to do something, I pull out my phone and I look at it and I try to see what's going on. You know, I try to, um, I just look at all kinds of things that my heart's running after. And so it might seem like it's a small thing, but really I'm trying to hide and conceal. You know, I, I told my wife that we're going to do something and I'm, I'm really lying to her, right? To a holy and just God, I am sinning. I'm being dis- I'm hiding in darkness. And it really is evil. Such a small thing is actually evil to lie and hide to my wife, hide things from my wife. And so how much time are you spending on your phone and what are you looking at, right? What's your heart running after? What are you desiring? You know, it can just be also areas in darkness can just be places where you're just not living in light of who God is. You know, it can be things like anxiety and the fear of man where you're just not living in the light of who God declares himself to be. And so we have these things at Legacy called DNAs. And so if you're part of a comm group, there's smaller groups in the comm groups called DNA groups. And it's a groups of, you know, two, three, four people get together. And uh, it's, just, it's just men and, and women and, and uh, not, not combined but separate. So it's just like a time with, you know, two or three guys. And it's a, it's a chance for me to, to reveal what I've been hiding in my heart and kind of talk together and, and have some accountability for, for what I'm the, the, the darkness in my life, and I can bring things to the light. And so here's a question. If you had to make a list of 10 things that you've been hiding in darkness, okay, number one being the first thing you're going to share, and number 10 being the last thing you're going to reveal, what's number 10 on the list? Okay, what are you hiding in your heart? Where are you walking in darkness? So we're going to see also that the good news of the Bible is that God not only determined that this land, Zebulun and Naphtali, would be held in contempt, that they would be despised for their sin, that they would be a humbled people, a people who have no goodness in themselves. Those who have been living in exhaustion from shame for who they are and the sins that they've committed. On this people, God has determined for a light to shine. And this light comes with great joy, Isaiah says. Verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. It says, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad as when they divide the spoil. And so Isaiah sees this joy coming. This joy coming to this people who live in darkness. And it's coming in the form of a child. And this child will be the light of the world. Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now what does Isaiah mean by the word Wonderful Counselor? You know, it's a, it might seem obvious at first, but really I think it's, uh, it's, it's different than I thought. And so really we commonly use the word Wonderful as admirable. You know, my wife tells me this story about, you know, before she had found Mr. Wonderful, she was around all her girlfriends, and uh, they were talking about how this other staff guy was just so wonderful. He was perfect. You know, they, they were just all about this other staff guy. And, uh, and so we, we normally say, yeah, admirable is what we kind of think of as wonderful, right? But uh, there's another usage for the word wonderful in Scripture, and it's, it's this uh, extraordinary Okay, an, un, an, um, an 
hard to understand things, such as a miracle. So Exodus 3.20, it's the same word here. Well, it's obviously the same word. So I will stretch out my hand, God says, and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And then to Joshua, as he's going into the promised land, he says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Psalm 77, 14, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. So wonderful is not simply admirable. It is, but there's more. It's, it's also supernatural wonders. And then counselor. Counselor is, you know, I looked it up in the Strong's you know, Dictionary, I guess, and says to advise, to consult, to give counsel, to, pur- to purpose, to devise a plan. So if you think about a time where you've received counsel, you say, hey, I don't know what to do. I need some help. And somebody comes alongside you and says, okay, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to go about doing it. This is our plan. This is our counsel. This is our purpose, what we propose to do. And I'll give you an example. So my wife and I took a trip to New York City one time, and uh, we were kind of like our own counselors. We devised our own plan. And so we... uh, we were going to go see my grandpa, and then the plan was that uh, we were going to take a train down to New York City, stay there a few days, and come home. And so like I said, yeah, this was our plan. We were our own counselors. We had our own purpose, what we are going to do. But it didn't turn out at all like we planned at all. And so it was so bad that we started playing this game, um, good news, bad news. Okay, just to keep up morale, it went like this. My grandpa dropped us off at the train station. We thought tickets were going to cost 20 bucks. They're, they're advertised 20 bucks. We get there, and our particular train and our particular hour cost 100. So, okay. So there goes 200 bucks, you know, going to the, going to the city. And then all of a sudden, uh, good news. We made it to the city, and we found our hotel. Continental breakfast is provided. Bad news. Sausage, bacon, and eggs cost 15 bucks a piece. You know? So I was like, what? Come on. And then it was uh, good news. We're leaving the city. We made it to Newark Airport and boarded the plane. Bad news. We sat on the runway so long that we missed our connecting flight. We sat there for like an hour in the plane, not taking off. I don't know why. Good news. We made it to D.C. and our connecting flight and found a help desk. Bad news. They don't do anything. United doesn't help you out when you miss your flight. And so, uh, good news, we found a nice manager in D.C. that said he was going to help us. Bad news, he walked us to baggage claim outside of security, and then he went back in security and left us at baggage claim. And so I was like, are you kidding me? And then, but good news is we're at baggage claim. Bad news is our bags aren't here. Right? Good news is there is a hotel about a mile up a road a mile or two up the road, that does have discounts for United Flyers that, you know, when this happens. And there's plenty of Uber drivers to take us there. Bad news, our driver took us to the wrong hotel 10 miles away. So we didn't get the discount, and we had to pay for the 10-mile fare to get over there. And so uh, good news is, though, there was a, a flight out the next morning and that, that could get us home. Bad news is we had to fly back to Newark Airport. And so it really was. It was just like, a, come on, you're kidding me. And uh, as funny as this was, it was just that our counsel, our plans had failed. Okay? They just failed. But God is different. His counsel, his purposes, his plans, 
He accomplishes them. They never fail. And so Isaiah 14, 24, 17, later on, this is the same word for counsel. I'll, I'll point it out to you. Uh, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, as I have purposed. It's the same word. It's been translated purposed. So shall it stand. That will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains, trample him underfoot. And his yoke shall depart from them and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose, the counsel, same word, that I have purpose concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, counseled, and who will know it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? So this is one that Isaiah has in mind. Someone who's going to work wonders, along with the ability to advise and to plan and to purpose, a life of joy for a people who once walked in darkness. He has a purpose and a plan for the future, a new kingdom that will not fail. It will happen. Isaiah saw a future, wonder-working purposer. And many years after, about 700 years after Isaiah, Jesus moved to a not-so-popular area. Yeah, he didn't go live in Jerusalem. He moved to a land, well, I'll just read it to you. Matthew 3, 12 through 16, says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. That's this land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, right in the middle of this land, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the, of the, of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And this light is the wonderful counselor. I just picture Jesus moving to this area that's despised and humbled. Okay, they've walked in darkness. And it's his plan that, that he would be there. And then people might not have realized who he was, that he was the light of the world. And I, just, I think it's just incredible that he would live in Capernaum. He would go live in this place and be a light to those who are in darkness. And so Jesus, he brings us out of darkness by being the wonderful counselor. He was a wonder worker. There's no doubt about it in the scriptures. He multiplied a few loaves and a few fish and fed thousands of people and did it on more than one occasion. He gives sight to the blind. Matthew 9, two men are healed from blindness. Matthew 15, 30, it says, And great crowds came to him, bringing with them lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put him at his feet, and he healed them. So Jesus is just doing all these wonders around people. He's healing people. Matthew 21, 14, it says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And then raised from the, he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's a great wonder. But not only Lazarus, Lazarus there was a ruler's daughter. A ruler's, yeah, a ruler's, uh, yeah, daughter in Matthew 9. And a widow's son in Luke 7. That Jesus did wonders and he raised people from the dead. And then counsel. What was his purpose? He was bringing those that are exhausted in shame, who have been ruined and humbled, who lived in anguish and darkness. He's, he's bringing them back into the light. And the purpose is not just that people would walk in the light, but they would have eternal life in the light. 
John 8, 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 6, 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, Jesus, from the first Christmas day, he's on a rescue mission to a people who live in darkness, a people who have been humbled, frustrated, and broken. See, the gospel is perfect for those who dwell in darkness, who are exhausted by their shame. No man or woman is saved by what they do. We're saved by what Jesus has done and purposed and accomplished. This child, this little baby boy, he's the wonder-working counselor on a mission to rescue not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And he's going to do it by being a substitute for them. See, he purposed, he counseled a, to live a sinless, perfect life, always in the light, always obedient, always controlling his desires, making him submissive, submissive to God the Father. He always did the right action with the right motive. He was sinless, blameless, deserving of no, condemna- no condemnation, deserving of no shame, no guilt. He perfectly represented God, for he was God in the flesh. And Jesus purposed, he counseled, to die a death that he did not deserve. Taking the wrath of God against sin and wrongdoing on the cross, Jesus died as a perfect sacrifice for our sins committed in the darkness. The sin of all of his chosen people, all who by faith look to Jesus and trust him as their perfect substitute. And then Jesus purposed that death was really only the beginning. He purposed life. He rose from the dead. He defeated death. And now he counsels and he purposes to save people, the church, from darkness and death and to give us life and life abundantly. Isaiah says, the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his pressure, you have broken as on the day of Midian. See, he breaks the shackles of our shame and burdens and inevitable death. He sets us free from darkness by granting forgiveness and grace by the means of his accomplishments. And it's all his ideas and his pur- all Jesus' ideas and all his purposes. Our works, what we do, they contribute nothing to our salvation. And so there really is true freedom that even our darkest desires and everything we do in the dark can be exposed. And although some people may frown on you, look down on you from a self-righteous standpoint, God is not going to condemn you for the works done in the darkness. He's not going to condemn you. He is a God who is giving life and forgiveness. And not only life, but also there's joy in following Christ. See, see God brings us out of the darkness by granting forgiveness, saying you can come out now. You don't have to live in that shame anymore. You can come out and live in the light where I am. I'm not going to condemn you. And now there's joy in the light. Living in the light is this, this place where I've been forgiven much. And I can, I, can, I can just forget about my shame. And I can experience the freedom and the love of God. And I can experience joy in walking with him, walking in the light. And also, walking in the light, there is no shame in the light. There's no, no guilt in the light for doing what is right and godly. It's, I will never regret 
doing what is right and godly and good. I just never regret it, but I will regret the darkness. And so why not give up the darkness? Why not come out of it and let Christ expose your shame? We're all guilty. Let's admit that and experience the freedom and forgiveness found in Christ. And so also this wonderful, this, this wonder-working counselor, Jesus, he's not done working wonders. And he calls us to continually to trust him, to trust his purposes today. And that's where the second advent comes in. It's, it's this time where Jesus has already come. Israel was already waiting for, G, for the Messiah to come, and he came. And now he's coming back, and there will be the second advent, a second coming of Christ. And so now we live with eager expectation and longing, just like a child longs for a present on Christmas Day, for this wonderful counselor to return. And some of the, the, the wonders that he will do, you know, Revelation 6.14 says the sky will be rolled back like a scroll. And I thought, you know, what a wonder that would be to see the sky roll back like a scroll. And then also John 5, 28, 29, it says, Jesus says this, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So I just thought to see a day, if, if you were alive when Christ returns and you saw the dead come out of their tombs, what a wonder that would be. How incredible that would be. And so I just ask, has the light of Christ, has it dawned in your heart? Okay, will you take courage and come out of the darkness into the light with Christ? You'll find shame in the dark, but eternal life with Christ. And let me ask you, does your heart celebrate? Are you looking forward to the second advent, the second coming of Christ? This is the child born in Bethlehem on the first Christmas day. Isaiah, you know, it's crazy. I always missed it every time I read this verse. But it says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. He said that language, given. The wonderful counselor has, was given for men and women to have life. Jesus gave himself. There's no greater gift that one can receive. And I pray that you receive this wonder-working purposer, this counselor. That you receive his life, his death, his resurrection. You believe in him and trust him. And know that he's a substitute for your sins, for all the deeds that you've done in the darkness. And praise God that he will accomplish what he purposes. And so we're going to wrap it up here. But maybe uh, I'm going uh, to read Revelation 21.9. Here's what God's word says. He says, come, at the, end of, at the end of it all. He says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And skipping to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its, are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On that day, its gates will never be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. And so let me pray for us. And then uh, we'll move into a time of communion. Lord, I thank you that you are a good God. You are a God who, 
who has come to draw us out of the light, out of the darkness into light. God, you are so good to us. And God, I pray that we would have courage and look to you as, God, just as one who has purposed life for us. And God, we would leave darkness and live with you in the light. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so moving to a time of Lord's Supper. If you've um, not received a communion cup, if you could just raise your hand and uh, Kay will bring you a communion cup. I, uh, I have one in my pocket here somewhere. I found it. So yeah, Kay will come around. But communion is just, it's a time of remembrance. Okay, for, it's, for, it's really for believers only. And if you're a follower of Christ, we ask you that, or if you're not a follower of Christ, we ask you that you take Christ instead of communion. That this is, this is just a, a symbol. Okay, taking this cup is not going to save you, but Jesus will save you. So take him instead of this cup. And But for believers, this is, uh, like I said, it's a symbol. Uh, it's symbolic of Christ's bro- body broken for us. The bread is a symbolic of his body broken. And the blood, or the, the, the juice is symbolic of his blood spilled for us. And so I just ask us to reflect on that as we take communion. And I'll read this passage real quick, and then we'll take the bread. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, and broke it and gave it to them, his disciples said, take, eat, this is my body. And so please take the bread and reflect that Jesus' body was broken for you. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Please take the juice and reflect on Jesus' blood shed for you. All right, thank you very much. Now we'll move to a time of worship.